from UNH, Cooperative Extension. This is relative to New Hampshire. Step into the classroom and listen in while a group of UNH students explore the underlying aspects of current issues under consideration at New Hampshire State House. We pick apart those issues and connect with experts, all to share with you insights from our scientific community that enhance our understanding of the biological world right here in New Hampshire, home of the greatest democracy in the world. I'm your moderator, Dr. Anna-Kate Wallingford. Hi, I'm Max, and I'm a senior nutritional science major. Now, Max had been following HB103FN, establishing a dental benefit under the state Medicare program, and he was reporting back to the group on what he learned from attending public hearings. This group is a team of science liaisons made up of UNH students from a diverse array of departments in the College of Life Sciences and Agriculture, as well as my co-moderators, Extension's Public Engagement Program Manager, Nate Burnitz, and Extension's Public Affairs Manager, Lauren Banker. Now, HB 103 had a big old financial note attached to it because it would have acted to expand the dental benefits that would be covered by Medicaid in the state. Ultimately, this bill was retained in the House Committee on Health, Human Services and Elderly Affairs, partly because they wanted more information on the fiscal implications of establishing this benefit. Max had some personal interest in dental health, considering a recent traumatic wisdom tooth extraction. Um, He spoke with representatives from Delta Dental to get some more perspective. And the group had several long discussions about how dental health is a critical part of overall health, including this session where Max caught us up on a public hearing he had attended. So it was HB 103, which is adding dental insurance to Medicaid right now. And apparently that's been something that we've brought up in 2015. They said that there was some research put in to see if this would be worth it. And they did think that it could save us money in the long run instead of having people all go to their primary care doctors or go to the ER a bunch of times when the root problem is really a dental problem. Because right now, if you're a low-income American, you have Medicaid. Once you turn 21, you completely lose your dental insurance. And so people that are having mouth problems and oral health problems go to their family practitioner. They go to the emergency department. They don't actually treat the root of the problem, and they have to keep going back and sometimes end up losing teeth and have all these problems going forward. So they want to implement a way that dental uh, for people that have Medicaid are covered for dental insurance. And so they had Joe Shapiro, who's a representative, come and talk about it. He had said that this was supposed to be passed in 2019. There was a similar bill. But because of the COVID budget cuts that Sununu said that um, they just couldn't afford it right now. And it kind of got vetoed by him. But this year, I guess he came back out and said that he really believes that Republicans and Democrats can work together and make this happen. And I guess since 2015, the Department of Health and Human Services has a group that's been meeting and putting this all together and thinking about what it's going to cost and the dates and how it's going to work. And so it's Dr. Sarah Finney, who is the leader of that. And she came and spoke and kind of just echoed what Joe said about how it's just important and that this is something that we really need. But basically what I got instead of the science, everyone was really just worried about the cost. And since they didn't have that fiscal note, no one felt comfortable with voting on it. And they want to see just how much this could increase taxes or, or what it's going to be for the representatives and for the state and what it's going to cost everybody. So it was kind of pushed off um, to a later date. And I don't, it doesn't say when the house is going to be meeting on it again, but well, maybe maybe that will be become clear over time. Before we get into like the fiscal note and the kind of policy of it, can we can we spend some time talking a little bit about the link between dental health and like 
for lack of better, better, better term, regular health. <laughs> like obvious, yeah. obviously, like people going to take advantage of like uh, emergency health centers will have some impact on you know just like the running of that. But like, did they talk at all about dental health in general? Like as far as like the severity of just dental health on its own. Um, when the when Doctor Finney came in and talked about it, she had she had mentioned that that um, yeah, like having important dental health and that infections and things like having people's teeth pulled are can affect their, their ability to get jobs. You know, people with teeth missing out of their mouth are less likely to be hired for certain things, but they didn't really bring up anything about how dental health can affect long-term health. But in the actual bill itself, it, it lists a, a lot of evidence to why that's important. Because something I was kind of thinking about is like, I know that like, for some people a regular teeth cleaning might be like the like the most common time that they interact with a with a health professional and so like that I mean perhaps you know but there's also definitely potential for like interventions like dentists they're not medical doctors but they have medical training so they might be able to recognize early onset like mouth cancer or things like that Uh, My mom is a cardiac nurse practitioner, and she's told me about how gum health is directly related to your heart. And if you like don't floss and then floss and your gums start bleeding, that can go straight to your heart. So you can have a lot of heart problems associated with poor dental health as well. Does anybody have any questions that you would want to ask a dental professional or or somebody in the medical field about this? Or do we want to just kind of wait and see what happens to this bill as it plays out? Do you want to return to it after Max figures out what's going to happen to that? Well, we certainly looked for experts to come and talk to us about how preventative care can help avoid unrelated health issues and how and how deadly a tooth infection can be. We also tripped over HB611FM, abolishing fluoridation in water, and we found it too interesting to pass up. We'll, we'll start out by returning to how dumbstruck we all were that people were trying to abolish fluoridation to begin with. A, a food thing. Um, fluoridation in water. There's a bill trying to abolish fluoridation in water. That's kind of like a food and health. And actually, actually, Max, maybe that should be you because that's a dental thing, too. So do you see HB 611, uh, abolishing fluoridation in water? I'm looking at the list right now. Abolishing fluoridation in water, that's something. I don't know a ton about um, dental health, but I I was under the impression that fluoride in water is like a huge, huge, um, like positive contribution to keeping people from getting cavities and it's good for our teeth. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of movements that say it's like really, really horrible for us too. Really? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Is there like, any evidence for that? No, I don't know much. I think about it verges into conspiracy theory territory sometimes with the fluoridation. Like I know uh, Alex Jones does not like fluoridation in the water. So I mean, I think there probably are some valid concerns. I don't actually know, but everything I've heard about it is a little. Nutty. The fluoride content actually affects your tooth and there's like it gets deposited and color change happens with the tooth and it affects a lot. 
yeah it's it's one of it's one of those things where like don't go too too far down the rabbit hole because there's going to be a lot of conflicting evidence on on either side of it i don't know it's interesting don't spend too too much time on it but that hearing might be interesting if you could track it down yeah sure i'll, I'll check it out and maybe i'll even read because we have access to a bunch of autumn that uh, awesome databases here trying to figure out what we know about fluoride in the water already i'm sure there's got to be some like okay so you might be curious as to how fluoride works to improve dental health um, and i'm taking this description of how fluoride works directly from the american dental association's website mouthhealthy.org where you can find some videos and some more information but they say that fluoride acts to protect the enamel or the hard protective covering of your teeth they say tooth enamel is the outer covering of your teeth. It's stronger than bone and made from calcium and phosphate. Your spit or the saliva in your mouth is also loaded with calcium and phosphate and it bathes the teeth to keep them strong. When you eat things like candy, crackers, or noodles, cavity-causing bacteria starts feasting on the carbohydrates in those foods. This produces acid that attack your enamel. It causes calcium and phosphate to be stripped from the tooth enamel leaving you more vulnerable to decay and cavities. However, saliva disrupts that attack as it coats your teeth and adds back calcium and phosphate to replace what had been stripped away. When your saliva has fluoride in it from sources like toothpaste or drinking water, your teeth are able to take it in. Once in your enamel, fluoride teams up with calcium and phosphate there to create the most powerful defense system your teeth can have to prevent cavities from forming. Fluoro, fluoropatite, I don't know how to say that. <laughs> it's much stronger, much more resistant to decay, and fights to protect your teeth. So that's what the American Dental Association has to say about fluoride. But Max did dig into the information provided by the authors of this bill, including a website that offered some very conflicting evidence. Um, he was really befuddled with what to make of a resource like this. So he turned to one of his professors to help him make sense of this seemingly science-based evidence that really contradicted what the American Dental Association had to say. So my name is Maggie Dulesky Vegas, and I am a clinical associate professor in the Department of Agriculture, Nutrition, and Food Systems. So in the nutrition program. And so you are more than qualified look over this website and maybe speak to its credibility then. So at the hearings, you know, when they are presenting this to legislators, they seem pretty interested in this. And the main argument is this is about teeth, but this website and a lot of these facts aren't arguing that it, that it prevents cavities. They're talking about other um, neurological problems and other things that aren't really being talked about with fluoride. For the general public, would you have any tips on people that aren't going to be able to dive into a study and, and look at the credibility of the research to to assess a website like this and know if they're getting good information. Maybe that's someone that's not an expert. Yeah, that is definitely tough. Um, but usually, you know, I encourage people to look at, you know, more reputable sites to see like the CDC and see what they say about it. And then maybe checking the, the credentials of whoever is running the website looking to see whether or not um, they're they're trying to get something from you. And in this particular website, you can donate. So I'm assuming that they rely on donations to keep their website going. You know, I couldn't find any information on how much 
people donated or anything like that. But uh, it's definitely it's tough. It's hard for the the general public to be able to interpret some of these things. And we see it in the nutrition world all the time. I mean, I continuously have patients and clients telling me, you know, what they said, a study said, and I'm like, yeah, but the study wasn't done well. How would you rate the credibility of, of this website when you looked through it and you saw the information they said and the sources they cited and things like that? Is this a source that people can trust? Should they be iffy about this? Like, how, how would you rate the credibility of this website? I would rate the credibility very low. And, and I can elaborate on that. If, you know, certainly there's a lot of information on that website. So I kind of put myself into like a random lay person. You know, what would I think if I were to look at this website? And it's very overwhelming in that it provides all of this information about studies and so forth putting myself in a, a lay person's shoes, I would think, wow, these people really know what they're talking about. And this is scary. I saw their mission and it was to, let's see, the Florida Action Network is dedicated to protecting public health by ending water fluoridation and other involuntary exposures to fluoride. So uh, fluoride is not my expertise, but I know from being a nutritionist and a mom that fluoride is often in the water and important for our teeth. I went and, and tried to figure out what a professional organizations say about fluoride in the water, CDC and the American Dental Association. So both of those organizations promote and support the fluoridation of water. So similar to how I would approach like a, a, you know, a weight loss supplement website, I'm like, wait a second, this kind of goes against the grain. So certainly a red flag. After I looked at what their mission was and compared it to um, the standards, I saw who ran the site. And it looks like it's uh, Dr. Paul Kinnett, who has a PhD in chemistry, certainly very um, good degree, I suppose. I searched him a bit to see if he had any published research on this topic. So I looked in PubMed and he has a couple of publications, but they're all review papers. So he doesn't have any primary research studies. So this isn't something that he himself studies. That's okay. Fair enough. Um, so I did go end up Googling him and it seems like a lot of people are skeptical about um, his website. Found a fact sheet published by the American Fluoridation Society um, that indicated that this particular website uh, was false or misleading. Again, I don't know a whole lot about the EFS, the American Fluoridation Society, but their website is cited by the CDC. So I would imagine that must be a well-known, credible professional organization. So I thought that was interesting. So then I went on to look at some of the studies and they had different categories. So I focused on the IQ, the children in IQ, because I have kids and I care about that. They mentioned like a large number of studies. I can't remember what it was, like 60 or 70 studies that support the fact that fluoride is dangerous for children. Again, if you're a lay person, you look at that like, wow, look at all those studies that say that. 
But as a scientist, you know, we, we dive into the studies and I certainly didn't look at all of them, but I, I scanned a list of them. I don't think any of them are done in the United States and you know, where we regulate how much fluoride goes in the water and there's standards set out by the EPA, I believe. So the, the couple that I clicked on, it looked like they were completed in um, a different country where it's well known that the fluoride levels were high in the water. So essentially, you know, they're, they're studying a population where we know they're getting too much fluoride and, and too much of anything, including fluoride, can be detrimental. And so it's not really fair to use that. Again, skimming through some, you know, the methodology of some of the studies was not sound. Um, they were, for example, a lot of times they were uh, measuring the IQ of, they were looking at maternal, I think, prenatal fluoride consumption and then assessing the IQ levels of very young children. Um, I think like, you know, less than five years old. And that's, I don't believe, um, a fair assessment of the IQ of a child. Usually they assess IQ later after age five. Um, so I don't know that those were, were sound methods. And so even some of their results were kind of pushing it. Like one did, you know, say that the odds of developing excellent intelligence was uh, decreased compared to children in like the control group. So essentially saying, you know, they found a relationship between fluoride intake and like above average excellent IQs, but then didn't find a relationship with the other categories of IQ, which really isn't clinically meaningful. So, you know, people like to do this with, with these websites. They like to make it sound like they have all, all of these studies and all of these data. And unless you know what to look for, you're, you may be impressed. I wouldn't say this website is credible at all. Wow. As much as we would like to have Dr. Vegas standing over our shoulders every time we read something fishy on the internet, we are not so lucky. She did provide us with a link to a tutorial on being smarter consumers of internet-based information that I'll include in our show notes. I'll also include some papers that Max recommended about the most recent studies linking municipal fluoride to public health benefits. For me, one of the most interesting things that Dr. Vegas hit on regarding the long list of scientific research pointing the, to the dangers of fluoride was that they were all conducted outside of the United States. I don't know if you picked up on this, but Chandra, our, our PhD student in our liaison group, discussed her experience back in her home country of India, where natural fluoride content in their water is already very high. She says it does cause problems where people get yellowing of the teeth. Of course, the papers that Maggie was looking over still weren't all that convincing that high levels of fluoride cause neurological disorders, but it is always important to remember the context in which these, these studies are conducted. This bill was held in committee, so it has not become law in New Hampshire. I do have to point out, though, that even the authors of this bill do acknowledge the dental health benefits of fluoride. Authors requested a financial note because 10 municipalities and seven communities that either place fluoride in their water or purchase fluoridated water from the city of Manchester would need to stop that practice and provide the children in their communities with prescriptions for fluoride supplements from their medical and or dental providers. And they anticipate that would impact the Medicare program in the state. 
it sounds like the intention of this bill is essentially to acknowledge that some people just don't want this chemical out of their water. Um, if this is something that you care about, you can find a link to a CDC database of municipalities that do add fluoride to their water in the show notes. Thanks to all who helped us with this project. And thank you for listening. Relative to New Hampshire is a production of UNH Cooperative Extension, an equal opportunity educator and employer. All music is used by permission or by Creative Commons licensing. UNH Cooperative Extension is a nonpartisan organization. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the university, its trustees, or its volunteers. Inclusion or exclusion of commercial enterprises in this podcast does not equate endorsement. The University of New Hampshire, New Hampshire County, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture cooperate to provide extension programming in the Granite State. And this podcast in particular is made possible by the UNH Extension Internship Program. If you're interested in supporting great work like this in the future, learn more at extension.unh.edu slash internships.